Jesus, that we're waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Stand with me as we sing to our great Savior this morning. Jesus was a friend for sinners. Jesus lover of my soul. Friends may fail me, foes assail me. He, my Savior, makes me whole. Father, we thank you again this morning for the gift of your Son, Jesus Christ. We praise you for your loving kindness toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. We thank you that you sustain us even in our weaknesses, Lord, because we have a high priest in Christ who sympathizes with us. And finally, we thank you that we can draw near to the throne of grace with confidence because you opened a new and living way through the sacrifice of your Son, May we worship you this morning in a way that is honoring and pleasing in your sight. And we ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. Good morning. Glad to, I know you probably noticed that uh, David Hicks isn't up here. He's on vacation. And so uh, I get to fill in this morning. And I, I enjoy, what, oh choir, I'm sorry. He does that to us too. So I can understand now why he forgets. I forgot. Uh, but anyway, uh, 
It's a joy to be able to stand here and, and, and just watch your faces as you sing praises to the Lord. Uh, just want to talk about our connection card. Uh, if you are a visitor, have not been here before, or have not filled one out before, if you'd fill out your uh, connection card for us and then take it uh, to the connection center. In the back, we have people back there that will take that card. And then also, um, we have uh, any prayer requests that you might have. Uh, you can just put those in the offering plate. The staff gets those, and those are prayed over, I know, uh, during staff meetings and stuff. So if you want to update us on anything uh, that needs to be updated or any answers that we've received, that'd be great, too. All right. We have, I think, at this time, a presentation. So, Well, good morning. <laughs> Greetings to you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, our King and soon returning Lord. Amen. We pray for that. That's for sure. Hasten the day. That he returns. Even so now, come Lord Jesus, would be my prayer. Uh, no, we do want to begin today by doing a special recognition. And I'm going to ask Dr. Kevin Patterson to come from our stewardship committee. I found out that this is one of my duties as the chairman of the stewardship committee. Since David Hicks is not here today... He emailed me and said, you got to do this today, and I'm happy to do this because I'm going to honor a couple of people that I have high respect for. Um, and so I guess that's part of my job uh, with doing this. I would ask Don and Chetta Currents to come up front. Okay. Uh, uh, and Hannah. Hannah, uh, come up front. I want you to come down here. I think the pastor's going to... Oh, be careful, careful. So we want to recognize... 30 years of service to the Lord at First Baptist Church for Don and Chetta. <laughs> so I've learned it's been a longstanding tradition that we give a monetary gift, um, a percentage based on uh, one's salary as a thank you for serving. And it's usually a pretty substantial gift that, that we give, but I don't know if you guys know this, but Don, this last year, he's taken a partial retirement, and he's taken over the mayor's position, and, and it's really kind of embarrassing, a little awkward, uh, but we have made a bigger check <laughs> for him. <laughs> so... That percentage came out into the stewardship chairman. I have to do what the church says. So $2.49 is now, but the check's bigger <laughs> that, that Don's going to get. That's just having fun with Don. I, I, I have worked with Don so many years, and one of the people that I truly respect in the Lord. He loves Jesus, and he loves you. Amen. So why don't we give Don and Chetta and Hannah uh, a round of applause. No, come here, Don. Let me do this before you go up there. He wants to talk. All right. 
No, here's the real check. It's a little more than $2, a little bit more. And we have a plaque for Don and Chetta that says, In recognition of Don and Chetta Currents for 30 years of faithful service to First Baptist Church, Ozark, Missouri. And the Bible says, Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. 1 Corinthians 4.2 And I will certainly say, these are servants of the Most High God. They love the Lord and we appreciate it. Thank you. Now, here's the deal. If 30 years ago, if you said 30 years to now, I would be here, no way. But only God knew that. I'm so thankful that Chad and I, we've been here for 30 years. It's been a blessing. This is our children's home. This is our home. I always told people when we first came here, we had funerals. We buried church members. That's not true anymore. We're burying our friends. And like I said, I couldn't ask for anything more to be as my ministry. Yes, I know I'm getting older. One day I'm going to retire. But the thing is, we never retire from serving. How we serve may change as we get older. But my philosophy is we serve until God calls us home. And I want to serve as long as I physically can and be obedient to him. And yes, my ministry has changed. Cheddar thinks one of these days I might retire. <laughs> Since I'm not taking on any responsibilities at all lately. But, and all, but like I said, it's such a blessing to be part of this family and to serve God here. Because we're here to glorify God, to make us disciples, and to be obedient. Knowing what kind of worker Don is, the 30 years he spent here, I literally, and I'm, I'm being serious when I say this, you probably have gotten 60 years of work out of him, for sure. I, I'll remember the first time we... Uh, we visited this church. You were dedicating the, the, the new building over there, and it was packed, and we were up in the balcony, and, and uh, they, were, they were talking about this guy with a mop bucket. That was Don. That's the first time I heard about Don, with a mop bucket. Administrative pastor, and he's a mop bucket. The guy is like, you can't say enough about his love for Christ. I, I respect him. He's just a work-crazy work guy. I mean, mayor now and everything, so... It's crazy. But anyway, well, let's go ahead. We're going to be singing We're Marching to Zion. Come we Yeah. 
have the ushers come for the offering this morning. Let's pray. Father, you richly have given us much, much more than we deserve. Of course, the greatest thing you've given us, Lord, is the gift of your son, Jesus Christ. We're so grateful for that. But Father, you've also blessed us with jobs and with money to help us to live, to steward for you, Lord. And I pray today as we give back to you, Lord, what we give to you would be multiplied similar to what we heard about this morning in the feeding of the 5,000, Lord. You can take little and turn it into much. But I pray, Lord, that we would give liberally and graciously and faithfully and thankfully because of all you've given us. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.
heard the story about that, the man who wrote that, Horatio Spafford, and all, he, all the things that happened to him. But you know, we're, none of us are exempt, right? We, we meet trial and trouble and struggle all the time, and, and it's the Lord who permits those things to teach us and to grow us. Sometimes we bring it upon ourselves, but many times it's just the things that have to happen to make us who we ought to be, just like we talked about the disciples this morning. They saw Jesus with the bread. They, saw, they still didn't quite get it. They were getting there, and the Lord has to work that way with us, but it's so comforting. This next song is, is really a comforting song to me when I'm dealing with difficulties in my own life or struggles because it talks about how he's here with me. I'm not alone. When darkness overwhelms, yes, darkness can over. Look at the Psalms. They're full of people crying out to God. It's, we're going to have those things happen, but we have a hope, and he's the ancient of days. Days. Not above you. 
All right, I invite you to take your copy of God's Word and turn to the book of praises. Did you know that that's actually the Hebrew word for the book of Psalms? It's actually praises in Hebrew. So, Psalm 1 and 2. Don't get nervous, all right? Can't read Psalm 1 without Psalm 2. So we hope to journey through the Psalms. Uh, through these summer months, I know it's not, what does is, what is summer begin on June 20th or 21st? But the kids are out of school, and we kind of figure in June, July, and most of August, we'll kind of be in the summer months. So we want to spend some time in the Psalms, and I hope it will be an encouragement to your heart. Here's what the Word of the Lord says, Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law, Torah, Hebrew word, he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so. But are like chaff that the wind drives away. Here's the summary. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? 
The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me... I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. Hallelujah. The king is on his hill. I will tell of the decree. Here it is. The Lord said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Now, here's the cry to kings and anybody in the world, and to you today if you're lost. Hear the warning. Now, therefore, O kings, be wise, be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, lest he be angry, and you will perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. In many ways, my calling is to provide for you fuel for you to love Christ, love his word, love his people, obey him, and serve him in this community and around the world. Now, I know that I am called in many ways to be a husband, and I am that to Natalie, right? I'm called to be a father, and I am that to my children. And uh, my daughter's here, so I'm also called, in many ways, identified as a grandpa. Papa, they call me. I've enjoyed that this week, right? So four of those, and most of you in the church family know there's another one on the way, so I'll be a five-time grandpa. And I'm all those things, but my primary calling for you is to preach the Word. Why? Well, it is the Word of God that fuels and deepens your love for Christ. It deepens your obedience to Christ. It deepens your desire to serve each other. Thinking about time, Don's been here 30 years. This June marks 25 years that I've been a pastor. And here's what I will tell you in those 25 years. The call of God has not changed. It is still to preach the word, to fuel in you a love for Christ and a love for his word. I'm not a CEO. I am one thing. I'm a preacher. So his word must be central in everything we do at this church when you walk in the commons, living life together under the word. That's what God calls us to do. Christ's word is the hub of our church life, and everything we do flows out of it. Are we perfect? No, but everything must flow out of it. All ministry, all mission, all fellowship, all worship should flow out of the word of God. So... Again, to start these summer months, let's spend some time in the Psalms. So, did you hear the emphasis? I'm called to do two things. Fuel your love for Christ through preaching the Word to you. Do you notice what Psalm 1 and 2, or Psalms 1 and 2 are about? Did y'all catch it? It extols the Word of God in Psalm 1, and it extols the Son of God in Psalm 2. And the thematic structure for the rest of the entire Psalms 
is based upon those two things. To fuel your love for the Word and your love for our God. That's what the Psalms are designed to do. So, again, we have to read them together because we want to delight in the Word and we want to delight in the Son of God. So in Psalm 1, we delight in the Word, and in Psalm 2, we kiss the Son. We take refuge in the Son of God. Psalm 1 and 2 are put together at the beginning of the Psalter, the Psalms, the Book of Praises, for a particular reason. Now, you've got Psalm, you've got 1 through 150. That order was not always 1 through 150. As a matter of fact, it took decades upon decades for the Psalms to be brought together as a unit. It's my personal opinion, following James Hamilton, I believe that David is the narrator of it. He, he actually has written 73 of the 150 Psalms. You'll notice he's not giving credit for the first two, right? Uh, that's really not where book one starts. Book one really starts in chapter three and runs through chapter 41. But we'll, we'll talk about some of those things throughout this. But David takes it. We believe that it's possible that Job quotes Psalm 107. So think about this for a minute. That puts it back to 2200 B.C. More than likely, they were not compiled to after post-exilic days when they were put together in the order. Make no mistake about it. They're put together exactly the way God Almighty designed for them to be put together. It's telling a story, not just about David, but primarily about the God of wonders, the God that we can't figure out, the God who puts all of Israel's history together and your history and brings it together. And we love the Psalms. I mean, you think of Psalm, 120, uh, of Psalm 23 and Psalm 100. There's so many we can talk about, but it's important that you remember that there's order and there's purpose for the way that our God gave us the Psalms. We actually have a different reading that's given out from Acts chapter 13, verse 33, that really gives credit. It calls it Psalm 1 in some translations, but calls Psalm 1, Psalm 2 in other translations. Why does it do that? Because, again, you are to see Psalm 1 and Psalm 2 together. All right? With all that information, as we go through this on Sunday mornings and Sunday nights, I'll give you a little bit more tidbit. You want one more? Right? Superscriptions. Let's, let's take Psalm 3. A psalm of David when he fled from Absalom, his son. You see that as a superscription. However, in the Hebrew Bible, that's verse 1. So even your superscriptions are inspired by God. Even those are given to you that way. So that can cause confusion between the Hebrew and the English. But this is a masterful work. So, Psalm 1 shows us the blessing of obeying the Father and abiding in His words. Do you all realize there's only one who's ever done it perfectly? And that's the Son of God. See the connection here. The second psalm develops the character of the wicked, and they're introduced in Psalm 1-1. Walk not in the counsel of the ungodly, stand in the way of sinners, sit in the seat of the scornful. Psalm 2 will unpack that for you. Why do the nations rage? Chapter 2, 1 through 3 explains their rebels and their plotting insurrection in response to Father asserts that he's installed the Lord Jesus Christ on his heel. That has not changed. No matter who the president is of the U.S., there's only one on the throne. 
And that's the Son of God. Thank the Lord for that. And the wicked are warned, and you need to be warned today, that your only refuge is to surrender to Christ. That's your only hope today. I hope you hear this clearly. Your only hope is to seek refuge in the Son, to kiss the Son. So the wording of the psalm, chapter 2, verses 7 through 9, I will tell thee of a decree. The Lord said to me, you are my Son. Today I have begotten you. Who is this talking about? It's talking about Jesus. It's talking about the Son of God. It is, he is identified as the future king in 2 Samuel 7, 12 through 14. It's the one who will sit upon David's throne. It's none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. So, folks, there's blessedness in delighting in his word. And there's blessedness in finding refuge in the Son. So we read them together. So that we read that the, true, the only real, true, blessed man who meditates day and night on the Torah is the king. That's been installed on his holy hill. But when you belong to him and you follow his way, you are a blessed man. So we can't just look at Psalm 1 and say, well, it's the fulfillment in Psalm 2. And only Jesus could actually live righteously. Only he's the one. He's the one who only obeyed the Father perfectly. You don't get out of this Psalm encouragement to you because you say, well, it's just about Jesus. No, it's about those who belong to him. Right? It's about those who belong to him as well. So, it is my opinion that uh, concurrently or con- with profound continuity, we see these themes fleshed out as we start in Psalm 3 and end up in Psalm 150. They are profoundly interconnected, and we're going to see this as we go through some of them. We can't preach all 150 because it would take me about five years, wouldn't it? But we're going to land in Hebrews Late August, early September, but for the summer months, let's do this. Here's a a thematic structure you can think about in Psalm 1. Psalm 1, 1 and 2 is the righteous and the wicked contrasted. Psalm uh, 1, 3 through 4 is the fruitful tree and the fruitless chaff contrasted. And then chapter 1, 5 through 6 is a summary of the saved and the perishing of the wicked that are contrasted. Okay? The way I've divided it up for you today to help you is I'm only going to preach Psalm 1, verses 1 and 2. Aren't you thankful for that? Right? So here's the point. We're called by God to recognize the blessed condition of the righteous. Did you hear it? Blessed is the man. Some translations will use happy. That's okay, but it doesn't get to the real truth of what's going on in this psalm. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly or the wicked, does not stand in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law does he meditate day and night. Think of that word for a moment, blessed. The term is plural. How in the world do we pronounce this? Blessednesses, maybe. Really, it's in a plural form, and it's important for us. It expresses a condition of both satisfaction and joy that's rooted in a relationship with God. Right off the bat, do you hear this? There's a wholeness, there is satisfaction, there's joy, but it only comes when there is a relationship with God. Through Christ, right? So in biblical terms, to be blessed means to be rightly related to God so that your life is fulfilled and you experience personal, deep satisfaction. Notice that the word... Psalm 1, blessed, is identical to the word, to the 
last statement found in chapter 2, verse 1. Blessed are all who take refuge in Him. See how these psalms work together? Don't miss that. That forms what's called an envelope. An envelope, envelope, whichever y'all say over here in Missouri. It's really called an inclusio. It's bringing those two chapters 1 and 2 together. Putting brackets around. Blessed is the man who does not do these three things. But blessed is the man who takes refuge in Christ. That's how it's designed in the psalm. So, the connection is clear. I think if you read your Bibles correctly, uh, we'll begin to think that to really be happy and blessed, we have to think about holiness. Now think for a moment with me. Have you ever heard the, the adage or cliche, um, God does not call us to be happy, but to call us to be holy? Well, I think we should rephrase that according to this. When you have blessed, it is God's call for you to be happy. But the only way you are blessed and happy is if you walk in holiness. Right? That's what this is saying to us. So blessedness is a condition or state of joy and satisfaction. It is not a will of the wist that is dependent on circumstances. It's a joy and satisfaction that's rooted in my relationship with Christ in whom I have taken refuge. So that plural form emphasizes a fullness of happiness in the righteous man. The ultimate blessed man and the ultimate righteous man of the Psalms is actually who though? It is the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I did not come to abrogate or destroy the law. I came to fulfill the law. However, again, we can't escape the instruction given to us in Psalm 1 verses 1 and 2. Simply based on the fact that only Jesus could live this way, right? Perfectly. When you know him, you have his perfect righteousness. When you're in Christ, that's the righteousness you have. So as you are in union with Christ, and he's, been, he's given you his righteousness, you are blessed in Christ. You're the blessed. Okay, two things today underneath. Recognize the, con the spiritual condition of the righteous. Two things. The blessed man does not do three things. Can everybody in here understand that statement? It's not hard. It's not complicated. The Bible says, blessed is the man, starts with a negative, who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. It begins with a negative. You young people have your pencils out. Y'all taking notes? I'm proud of you. But young people and old alike need to pay attention at this particular time. Psalm 1 pronounces a blessing on the man who does not do three things, and, the, and then verse 2 states what he does. So these three negative statements explain the condition of the righteous. I want to remind you that this follows a pattern of Deuteronomy chapter 17 when the instructions are given to a king. Listen. And, when, uh, and he shall not acquire many wives for himself, lest his heart turn away, nor shall he acquire for himself excessive silver and gold. And when he sits on the throne of his kingdom, he shall write for himself in a book a copy of his law approved by the Levitical priest, and it shall be with him, and he shall read it all the days of his life, that he may learn to fear the Lord his God by keeping all the words of this law and these statutes and doing them. Wow. That sounds like Psalm 1. Do not acquire many horses, wives, excessive silver, but one thing the king must do. Write out the Torah and read it all of your days. 
So scholars all agree that there's an intensification. Did you think about that? Walk in the counsel of the ungodly, stand in the way of sinners, sit in the seat of the scornful. There's an intensification, and all scholars agree with this. It's, there's an intensification of thinking, and then behaving, and then belonging. So the statements represent three degrees of departure from God. Do I have to remind you in 2023 that there seems to be more departures than those who are coming in? And so, is this relevant? You better believe it. It begins by accepting the advice of the world. And then it moves to being party to the ways of the world. And then it moves to adopting totally the attitudes of the world. So the negative aspects of a man of God, man of, a woman of God being blessed. The blessed man is one who does not walk, does not stand, and does not sit with the unrighteous, the sinner, or the scoffer. Nor take their counsel, their walk, their way of thinking, or sitting in their assembly. So the progression is walking, standing, sitting. Departures from God are never with one step. Are y'all listening, church? Departures from God are never with one step. Departures from God start small, and they work their way out from there. If we are not guarding our hearts, if we're not watching over our hearts, from which all the issues of life flow, then we can imperceptibly begin to walk, and then stand, and then sit. Before you know it, the person who thought they would never sit in the assembly of the scoffer is the one himself or herself that has joined in with the scoffers in their ridicule of God and his ways. Happens all the time. There's also an intensification with the words unrighteous, sinner, and scoffer. The first description of the wicked is the person who's just an unbeliever. They're outside of the covenant of God. They're called unrighteous. Do I have to remind you, folks, there's no neutral here. You're either saved or lost. There's only two categories of people that exist in this world, saved or lost. And so there it is, the sinner or the wicked. The next one is the sinner. That's the one who willfully, rebelliously is disobedient to God. And then we have a scoffer and a mocker, and this is the one who stands opposed to God, ridicules his ways, and mocks the truth. There's also an intensification with counsel, way, and assembly. Counsel is the advice of the world. That's who you're listening to. The way is the path of life. The decisions that we make. And the assembly is a sense in you of where you actually belong. Is this church family listening? This is the intensification of it. Beware of the progression from moving in the wrong kind of counsel. Standing in the wrong way of life. And sitting in the wrong kind of seat. So in this description of the unrighteous, there's a growing intensity. And it's signifying that what may start off as a harmless bit of advice may end you in a dangerous connection with those who would seek to destroy the faith. Wow. We also find the terms wicked sinners and scoffers in the book of Proverbs that constitute for us attitudes and behaviors of a fool. Take that into consideration. The blessed man is the one who consciously, think about this, avoids three things or three points of contact. The blessed man refuses to seek their counsel. 
refuses to stand in their paths, refuses to sit in their assemblies. Folks, such interaction will lead to an erosion or moral erosion of moral and spiritual perception in your life if you do these three things. You cannot walk in the counsel of the wicked and maintain the kind of moral and spiritual edge that Christ demands from true followers of Christ. You know this, don't you? You sense this in your own spirit as you're living in between the times. You've been justified, and one day you'll be glorified. But there's something in between called sanctification. That's tough, isn't it? And it doesn't take long to figure this out. I cannot walk in the counsel of the wicked, and I can't do this and maintain a moral spiritual edge that Christ actually calls us to do. Remember what he called us to do? If any man would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Those are radical demands. So, folks, if you adopt the way of the wicked, it will evaporate your sense of your love for Christ. Now listen, again, Psalm 1 and 2, a love for the Word, a love for Christ. If you want that to evaporate, then just go down the path of the way of the wicked. Stand in the way of sinners. Sit in the seat of the scoffers. That's what's going to happen. So, when trouble comes, don't seek the advice of the world. Don't seek the, the advice of lost people. I can't tell you how many times I've heard this story from young people. I feel like my best friends are outside of church because they don't judge me. What a crucial statement. What, what wrong-headedness. Now, can Christians be mean-spirited and give up on people and mark them off? Absolutely. And shame on us if we do that. But oftentimes what happens is when people start to slide down the slippery slope and they actually bring themselves to belong to the assembling of, assembly of the, wick, of, of the unrighteous and they scoff at God, they doubt who He is, or they wholeheartedly say and proclaim that they're atheists. The fact of the matter is, they usually have the attitude, well, the counsel I'm getting from outside of the church, they seem to love me more. And the pe all the people in the church do is judge me. How many times have we heard this? So many times. What happens? That's the counsel of the wicked. That's the counsel of the wicked. The devil begins to insinuate for you that people inside of the church don't really love you. They're just there to judge you. You begin to listen to the wicked, live like the wicked, you make moral decisions like the wicked, and then you end up abandoning the faith. Please hear me. The state of the blessed man is rooted in the fact that he will not listen to the counsel of the ungodly. Hear this. It's rooted. Blessed is the man. And it gives you the negative first. You'll not listen to the counsel of the wicked. You'll not stand in the paths of the wicked. And you will not sit in their assembly. Your attitude, young people, should be, that's not for me. I belong to Christ. I am defined as a blessed woman or man. And there's this deadening effect when we listen to the ungodly. And if you're not careful, you will place yourself in the most unenviable position of either having to come to grips with who I am and say, I'm a sinner, God forgive me for what I've been doing, or you need to say and have to say, all that the Bible teaches me that I used to believe, I don't believe anymore. And that's an unenviable position to be in. But that's really what happens. And hear me, folks. Rarely when your kids go off to college are they brainwashed immediately intellectually. They may hear something, but nine times out of ten, it's moral decisions. 
They've cast off morality and they've forgotten these three negatives. Counsel of the ungodly. Stand in the way of sinners. Sit in the seat of the scornful. So, to be happy and blessed, I'm defined by three things that I don't do. What I don't listen to. How I don't live. And again, don't miss the link with Psalm 2. Both have something about sitting and about scoffing. The scoffers have a seat where the blessed man does not have a seat. But the God in heaven sits and mocks and laughs at the scoffers. And he puts them in derision. All right, second. The blessed man does one thing. Verse 2 describes the one thing the blessed man does. Here it is. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. This describes the way of the blessed man. And this also describes the way the blessed man, and let's say it this way, feels about the word of God. This is the way the blessed man feels about the word of God. Do you understand that both groups are listening? One group of the wicked, they're listening to the counsel of the world. But believers listen to the counsel of God. They're both listening. They're just listening to different people. Here's the blessed man's delight. Here's the contrast. The blessed man delights in and listens to the law of God. We are still listening. We're just listening to the right person. We're listening to the word of God. We need to be discerning enough to know what we're listening to. The blessed man delights in the Torah of the Lord. Now, strictly speaking, Torah would be speaking of how many books of the Bible? Well, traditionally, five, okay? Which would be Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. But here's what we also know. That's the canonical think, thinking of the Pentateuch or the first five books of the Bible. Jesus will refer to Psalm 82, verse 6, as something also written in your law. And he does this in John 10, 34. Hamilton says, Torah includes much more than the various biblical rules and regulations that the English translation law may suggest. The Hebrew term connotes the history, listen to this, of God's acts to deliver his people. And all the instruction that our God gives us in his word. He takes pleasure. The blessed man of God takes pleasure in the word of God. The blessed man is the blessed man because he finds happiness and joy and delight in the law of God. Look at what the word says in Psalm 19. Flip over to Psalm 19 and just hear these quickly. The Bible says in Psalm 19, verse 7, The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. Listen to verse 10. More to be desired are they than gold. Even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Think of this. Psalm 119. I reserve to be wrong as I'm studying through this, but I believe Daniel wrote Psalm 119. All right, I may study this and figure out I'm wrong. Chapter, four, chapter 119, verse 14. Listen to the word of the Lord. In the way of your testimonies I delight as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts 
and I will fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. Job said, I long for it more than my necessary food. Wow. The righteous man delights in the word of God. He wants to read it. He wants to memorize it. Listen, he actually wants to hear it preached as well. People who delight in the Word want to hear the Word of God preached. You just can't get enough of it. If we are not finding any delight in the Word of God, hear me, if we're not finding any delight in the Word of God, it is because we are taking delight in other things, and you're crowding out the delight that you ought to have in the Word of God. These, those are rival delights. If anything's pulling you away from your delight in the Word, I'm telling you, you've got to get rid of it. If you're listening to the advice of the ungodly, don't expect to delight in the Word of God. This makes sense, doesn't it? If you're walking down the path of the wicked, don't expect to delight in the Word of God. And if you're sitting in the seat of the scoffers, then you don't expect to delight in the Word of God. Because the righteous man delights in the Word, it is his meditation, how often? Day and night. Hamilton says it generates a mental picture of a man going about reciting the Torah to himself as he continually contemplates the Word of God. So Psalm 1 asserts that the man who has memorized the Torah mutters it, mentally rehearses it day and night, will be blessed. Rehearsing it day and night. Did you know that's the same word, plot, in chapter 2, verse 1? Whereas the unrighteous are plotting their way in schemes against God, those who know Christ are plotting and memorizing and muttering the Word of God. Again, there's a contrast there. Psalm 2, they're devising and scheming the wicked. If you recall, folks, some 3,000 years ago, people did not read silently. Did y'all know that? So if you repeat something to yourself, you didn't, you, you actually, met with, it was out loud, and then you listened to yourself, and you turned it over in your mind, you didn't, you didn't, you were not silent when you first spoke it. You said it out loud and then you heard it and you turned it over into your mind. Meditation, however, must begin with memorization. And I know you Baptists. Preacher, I just can't memorize anything. You know the cardinal starting lineup. Hello. So if you repeat something to yourself, you, you turn it over into your mind... But meditation increases your insight and understanding into that word as you memorize it. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, stands in the way of sinners, sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law does he meditate how often? Day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by rivers of water. If you've got this in your mind, folks, and it's memorized, then you begin to turn it over and over in your mind. And the Spirit of God, infused with the Word of God, begins to give you understanding and wisdom to the Word of God. How can we ever know theology and grow as a Christian if we don't ever memorize a verse of Scripture? I mean, you can sit, of course, and read it all the time. But what about when you're at work? Can you mutter and muse is the word over the Word? You need to put some things to memory. The Spirit of God will take that raw data of that memorized word and He gives you wisdom and insights way more than you can get if you just do a flyover. Just read a verse here and there. So we memorize the Word of God. We meditate on it. We think about it. We speak it back to the Lord in prayer. 
I've said this so many times, but it's so true. Do you think our God would rather hear anything more than his people praying back to him his own word? Day and night is a figure of speech. It doesn't mean that you're going to join a monastic movement. That you just do this all the time without anything else. It means that you're committed to a continual turning over of the word of God in your mind. The word of God is what we need more than anything else to fill our minds with and shape our thoughts. Amen? I have a political bent. As a matter of fact, Don told me a joke when he nearly fell up here, but I'm not going to tell you what he said. I have a political bent, and I like to hear people talk that agree with me. All right? That's just the way it is. I agree with most of the things on Fox News and nothing on MSNBC. All right? That's just the way I am. But if you're just filling your mind with politics, you're in trouble. The best thing to fill your mind with so that you do have an accurate worldview, so that you can recognize when people are idiots, is to put the Word of God in your mind and heart. Heart. It has to shape your worldview, not CNN. The Word of, not even Fox News, right? They get things wrong. A lot. But here's the deal. you got to fill your mind with the Word of God. We must let the Word of God shape our worldview. I'm not going to read it, but you've heard of the Shema. Deuteronomy 6, chapter 4. Behold, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. And then it begins to enumerate what you're supposed to do. And what our Father is supposed to do. As you walk by the way, teach the Word. As you return home, teach the Word. As you leave out and see the gates behind you, teach the Word of God. And then when you get to Joshua 1.8, it says, This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night, that you may observe to do all that's written therein. Then you shall make your way prosperous, here we go, and have good success. So fathers are instructed to repeat the Torah constantly to the children. Discuss this meaning throughout the day. In Joshua 1.8, Moses commands him to meditate on the Torah day and night. Please see the connection. Hamilton says this, The blessing in Psalm 1, verses 1 and 2, is thus pronounced on Joshua, pronounced on a Joshua-like man who obeys Deuteronomy 6. If I am not desiring the word, if I'm not delighting in the Word, it's probably because I haven't avoided the pitfalls of verses 1. Of verse 1, right? If you're not delighting in the Word, it's because of the pitfalls of verse 1 you've fallen into. There's a growing resistance today in Christian circles of the acceptance of worldliness under the banner of Christian liberty. And it's dangerous. There's a looseness where there's not much emphasis anymore on holiness. I remind you we're going to be preaching Hebrews, and it says, without holiness, no man will see the Lord. Are y'all listening? So I remind you, preaching holiness and obedience has gotten reduced to legalism and moralism. That, my friends, is profoundly unbiblical. Profoundly unbiblical. Mark my words. If you think you can flirt with worldliness under the guise of whatever excuse or rationale you want to bring to the table, don't be surprised when your desire for the Word of God shrivels up and you're only feeding on your appetite for the things of the world. All right, you ready for a conclusion? That's just two verses. We did good, didn't we? Right? Conclusion. These are not mine. I read these from Ray Pritchard, and I love them. Here's what it says. 
Casual flirtation with the sinners soon leads to total domination by evildoers. What a statement. You cannot escape the reality of this truth. I'm not saying this, I'm not calling all the people in the world pigs, okay? I'm saying that up front. But here's a statement. If you run with pigs, you're going to smell like pigs. This is a spiritual illusion that's even given in the Bible. And pretty soon you're going to look like, act like, and dress like pigs. When this happens, don't be surprised if others mistake you as a pig. What seems small to you today may lead to total domination by sin tomorrow. Be warned, church. Be alert. Don't play with fire, and you won't get burned. That's the first one. Did you write that one down? Casual flirtation with sinners soon leads to total domination by evildoers. Here's the second one. As long as this world is what it is, godliness must largely be negative. Think of this. At the very least, godliness in a sinful world will always involve a separation from evil. Whether it's homosexual agenda, whether it's transgenderism, whatever that may be, a child of God must separate from evil. You must! You must separate from evil. That doesn't mean you don't love and share the gospel, but it does mean that you put your foot squarely on what the Word of God says and you don't budge an inch. You can't do it. You just can't. Godliness must largely be negative. How that works out in your personal life on every issue between you and the Lord. The Bible makes 99.9% of it very clear. All right? I cannot make the rules that will fit every situation, but we dare not neglect this overall principle. Godliness involves much more than staying away from evil influences, but it's not less than that. Okay? If we ignore the negative, you will never get to the positive. All right, here's the final one. The happiest people in all the world are those who build their life upon the Word of God. You know it, I know it, and the Lord knows it, right? He knew it first. I think we can state that in a more forceful way. The only truly happy, blessed people in the world are those who follow the prescription of Psalm 1. Others may be happy in a temporary worldly sense, but they do not know the joy, the deep blessedness and satisfaction that comes from God's approval. That's what matters. Approved of God. That's reserved only for a true child of God. Hear the end of the sermon. Most of that was for saved people, right? If you're lost today, you've got to choose to kiss the Son. Take refuge in Jesus Christ. It's the only way. Jesus said this. I did not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. And then he says, unless your righteousness exceeds that, of the scribes and Pharisees, the, one on the, out, the ones on the outside who seem to be the most righteous, unless you have a righteousness that exceeds that, you will by no means enter the kingdom of God. What does that mean? you got to have the righteousness of Christ. It's the only way to be saved. Take refuge in the Son. Amen? God, you're good to us, Lord. Thank you for your word. Lord, help us as we study through the Psalms. God, help us with application. Lord, what glorious words you have given to us. In Psalm 1 and Psalm 2, we praise you, Lord God, for it. And as we go through Psalm 1 and 2 the next few weeks, Lord, help us as we move into other select psalms that remind us of your glory and who you are so that we really do give you praise, as the title says. Praises. We praise you for who you are. Lord, if someone is lost today, Lord, it's your job to save. 
God, would you do it? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You'll stand with me as we sing our invitation hymn. Have thine own way, Lord. Have thine own way, Lord. Have thine own way. Thou art the potter. I am the clay. Mold me. Absolute sway. That's the fourth verse. All right, we're going to sing the first, the fourth verse. First verse. All right. Bill, you and Susan, stand here with me while we sing. Okay. Have thine own way. I can't help but think about Billy Graham when you have that kind of song, right? Preaching the gospel faithfully, issuing the call, let God save, right? It is God alone who holds absolute sway over your life. And the song says it right and perfectly. He holds over our being, absolute sway. Why? How? What? Ending result? Take refuge in the sun, right? You can turn around now, Mr. Bill. This is the best golfer I've ever seen right here. <laughs> no, we did have fun playing some golf with our church tournament. If you didn't get a chance to do that, do it with us next year. We had a blast, right, Scott? All of us did. did. All right. Yeah. Some of us are not too good. <laughs> I play Army golf, left, right, left, right. Yep. <laughs> this is Bill and Susan Smith. Smith, and they have been visiting our church for quite some time, and they come before you today and tell you they would like to be members of First Baptist Ozark. And so we welcome them here to our church family. Amen. They got some family back here that y'all know. Guy talks about his granddaughter all the time, you know. Kind of like me, right? Yeah. They're back there. Oh, no, she's up here. That's right. I want to send them to the back, and you greet them as you leave. God bless you. Glad to have y'all. Blake, we're going to finish. Can I tell the joke I told? About, you look like a lemon. I look like a <laughs> You got one of these too, buddy. Oh, that's right. Yeah. I will be wearing one. This is our group from Guatemala. 
or that's going to Guatemala. And so we're excited about that. Any others? If you didn't wear your shirt, come on down. All right. Shame on you, Chris. He's a rebel. Yeah. I could have preached in my shirt and just wore my coat, right? I couldn't have seen you. I mean, we will. Oh, that's right. All right. Well, pray for us. How many do we have total? Fifteen on this trip. Fifteen on this trip. And Nineteen on the next trip. Nineteen on the next trip. Just pray for us as we go and share the word and build homes. And it's going to be, I know it, God's going to bless. I heard from Kirk this morning. He always sends a word to me praying for you, Pastor, as you preach the word. And he said, uh, look forward to seeing you Thursday. And I said, yes, sir. And I, fa- and I have a passport this year. He said, that's a good thing. I said, yeah. Blake, you want to pray? And we will close out. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we are so thankful for your goodness. And Father God, as we think about the upcoming week as going to Guatemala, we think about every tongue, tribe, nation, people group that one day will be surrounded around the throne praising the name of Jesus. And so God, we thank you for the opportunity you give us this week to go to Guatemala and to to minister uh, the name of Jesus to a precious, precious group of people. What a blessing they are, but what a blessing they are to us. And so God, use us as we go. Keep us safe. Keep us well. Keep us healthy. And uh, just watch over us. And may the word of God uh, go out, and may your name be lifted up and glorified through it all. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.